Welcome to Cinema Around the Corner. My name is Ben Wager, and with me is my co-host, Don Gibson. Hey there. And today we are offering our Oscar Red Carpet Special. Part two. Show. Part two. Actually, was it, what, did we have a part one? Was the, I thought that was more of a Golden Globes thing because the nominations. Oh, you're right. But we were part right. We, both of those films were nominated, so we were, we were, our predictions were accurate. Okay, that is true, yes. Uh, so today we are going to look at a couple of films that uh, uh, were nominated for several awards. And we're going to start off with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which was my choice. And this is a Netflix release that I, I wouldn't say a remake, but it's not a remake. It's a uh, it's an adaptation of a play by August Wilson, who also did Fences and is, is a well-established uh, playwright. And uh, Denzel Washington, who produced it and is a big fan of August Wilson and is looking to actually produce uh, several films from his plays. Uh, it starred Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman, the late Chadwick Boseman. He actually, this was the last film he made before he passed away. Both of them were nominated for uh, Golden Globes and Chadwick won the best actor in a, in a drama Golden Globe. And they're both nominated for Oscars. Um, it was directed by George C. Wolfe, who is a, is a well-known uh, and very successful, uh, both in uh, films and as a uh, as a play director as well. And he was selected to be the director for this because of his expertise in both live play and film uh, genre. Uh, and I thought he did a very good job. Uh, the movie was written for the for the screen by Ruben Santiago, Santiago Hudson. You know, I think they added a few, I think they probably added a couple of little scenes, uh, but essentially it was, I think, I suspect, and I haven't seen the play, but it felt very true to the play. Basic scenes of the of the core of the of the film are are in essentially two sets. I mean, uh, there's a a band practice room and a uh, and a recording uh, studio. And for the most part, most of the major scenes are in one of those two sets. The play is based, uh, or the film and the play are based off the story of uh, a very famous African American blues singer. Uh, named Ma Rainey, and she is well-established in her career and decides uh, she's going to record some songs onto records. And this is in the late, I think in the late 1920s, I think 1927 is when, when the film is based. And she has a band that she has been touring with. And the band is a, it's a four-piece, um, a piano player, a bass player, a trumpet player, and a trombone player. And the trumpet player, who's played by uh, Chadwick Boseman, is, is the a very hot-headed young driven musician uh, with a lot of, of baggage in his in his family background that you find out about. Um, the tr the trombone player is the band leader, and the uh, the bass player and the piano are more back characters. Although they're they're all very much a part of the band, and um, they play very very much a part of the uh, the storyline of the movie. But definitely, you know, Chadwick and um, Ma Rainey, uh, played by Viola Davis, are the are, are the, the vehicles of this. I felt, um, although all of the actors were, I thought were very strong. Um, the play, the movie plays very much like a a play, in, in in really really it sits on top of a foundation of very strong dialogue uh, that really drives the the interactions between the characters. I mean, it just feels like you're watching a play on film. 
And it's very well done, I thought. Uh, it's not, you know, I like historical films or historic, anything that's based off history, I find fascinating. And it was interesting to you know, learn about uh, these people's lives in this little snapshot. And I'm not sure whether what happened in the film is really what happened in history. I don't know if you know that, Don, or not. No, I, no it's, it's, they've taken uh, liberties. I mean, we talked about okay. Chicago 7 last show. I think this film took even more liberties. Okay. It was more of a, a metaphoric representation of what it was for black people to come to Chicago and record with the white music industry. Right. Yeah, and I'm sure that was very much true in any of the cities, if it was in New York or Chicago. I think probably the you know blues, historically Chicago was known for being a you know, very strong blues town. And uh, you know these were very early, uh, you know, the, in 1927 that they're making, you know, they're starting to, to realize the value of, of recording the music of, of these Southern well-established bands from the South. And the interesting thing about this is part of the film is that just absolutely refusing to compromise stance that Ma Rainey takes throughout the process. She, she is driven to be completely empowering throughout the whole process. And, and the studio, uh, owner and her manager are both white men who are um, coordinating between them. And, and there's a little bit of friction because the, the, they know that she's going to be difficult and they have to kind of manage her, uh, but also understanding that, you know, it, it's quite profitable profitable for them to have her as a um, artist, recording artist in, in their studio. And so there's a, a very tense relationship between the two white men and Ma Rainey, and she is absolutely uncompromising in all aspects of the production. She wins every argument, and including not just with with the studio executive, but with her own band, who uh, has to follow basically her will. And she's you know very strong willed, and she's also it's very strongly implied that she's. Uh, either lesbian or bisexual. She has a beautiful young woman that's in her entourage. Also her nephew, who, who is kind of like this personal assistant that she's watching over. And he's also a very heavy stutterer. So she's insisting that um, he have a role, a spoken role in one of the songs, which is uh, everybody knows is going to make it a technical nightmare to, to actually record. And it did uh, take seven or eight takes before, maybe longer, because it, it turns out that the microphone was bad during this, the one successful take that we see. But she is adamant that that happens, and it does happen. And, you know, so the whole the whole uh, story is based on a lot of the relationship between Chadwick Boseman and the band, and also Ma Rainey and the, and the, the white uh, manager and studio executive. And then, the, and then we see these overlapping scenes where they're recording together, and then Chad Chadwick uh, Boseman's interactions with Ma Rainey are quite challenging. And he just plays a very driven young man who uh, has a lot of talent and, and wants to you know, be successful, but is deeply scarred by his, his family history. And it, it eventually kind of um, creates an implosion in his own life that is catastrophic uh, through, that we see at the end of the, of the film. And, uh, you know, you watching this, you get a really a good sense, I felt, of, of the, the challenges of, of, of being uh, an African-American in that situation. And Ma Rainey sums it up very well. I have all the power until the recording is done and I've signed over everything. And then I'm nothing to these people. I'm just a dog in the alley, I believe she says. And so she recognized 
and had the wisdom to, to understand that she had to be uncompromising throughout this process because she was going to lose all power after she was paid and signed her release. And in fact, you know, we see that all the way to the moment that she signs the release, they are just absolutely, you know, subservient to her in her, in her every demand and, and to the point where she's about to get in the car and they have to beg her to sign the release. And then that, that's when she does it is right before she leaves, she signs that release. And, you know, you could see that it was a battle that she won every step of the way. And um, the, the film really reflects that struggle very well and also tells some other tales in, in the um in, in the film, which I don't want to, you know, I don't want to push too far because it does, if you haven't seen the film, uh, you know, there's, there's a little bit of a spoiler. I, I, uh, I, I agree. Like, you know, this, it's very clear it's a play adaptation. There's a few exteriors in the opening. We see Ma Rainey in her clubs and she, she has, she runs three clubs in the South. Historically, that was accurate. And she's, you know, totally in control because it's a totally, it's a black industry in the South. There's no white people involved. She's doing it all on her own. But when you come to Chicago, you're moving into the white, white owned uh, business. And, and so they, did, they throw these opening scenes and there's a few scenes in, the, in a car, but otherwise we're on, on these, uh, as you said, two locations, either in the basement practice room or on the, in, the, in the studio. And I think it kind of works because it's sort of claustrophobic because they're kind of trapped there. Um, they can't go anywhere. and. It, but you know, as a film viewer, I, I agree. I like to have a bit of an experience and not. It, it just it felt so much like a play, and they and that, that's not a. a sh it's it's that's it's very character driven. I just say Fiola Davis and Chadwick Boseman uh, are very powerful characters, and they their their clashes are are great. They're just so strong in the way they convey um, their characters. Um, but yeah, this film is about ownership of the blues. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a black industry. I mean, they, they created everything. And, uh, but as we well know, maybe it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what's gonna happen in the next 10, 15 years in terms of these issues, because they would, uh, they, they would as you said, they, as soon as you, um, as soon as you signed the release contract you gave to them, you lost all rights and all control. And Ma Rainey understood that. And she comes across as incredibly difficult and ornery. And you're thinking, God, she's so, there's a scene where she demands to have a Coke and she stops everything. And, and you're thinking, why? But it's really, so it, you're, you're, at the end of the film, you're like, oh, I get what she's doing. This is all about her, you know, realizing her own destiny. And the Chadwick Boseman character, his name's Levy, he has this misguided faith in the system that because he's so talented, they were like, yes, we're going to make you a star. And he doesn't understand that these white executives are, they just want to take his stuff from him and sign it away. And they're going to, they're going to treat him terribly. He doesn't understand that. Ma Rainey understands that idea uh, inside out. Yeah. I, you know, I think the, uh, the you see, you know, the frustration in, in uh, uh, Levy's character, Chadwick, um, Chadwick Boseman's character, Levy, and, and, and especially how, you know, once the, the white uh, uh, studio owner, you know, takes his songs and says, yeah, 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 those are good. Let me take a look at those. And then says, yeah, you're not going to be able to record these, but I'll buy them from you for $5 a song. And then, you know, at the what you end up seeing is that uh, they're recorded by a white band um, who are, you know, as, as blues is crossing over into um, the white audiences, uh, it's much more profitable for the studio to have white bands 
uh, you know, record these songs because they'll make a lot more money um, by selling those records in those communities. And so, and you see that kind of exploitation here, here, just put some money in your pocket and I own these songs now and just walk away. And, and Chadwick loses, uh, Levy, the, the character loses all, all power in the situation. Yeah. And that's, it's very interesting because we, we as an audience are thinking, Hey, you know, why don't more people support Levy because he's such a, He's very talented and there's a big debate about how they're going to do one of Ma Rainey's songs and he wants to do it his way, which is a more modern interpretation. It's not the deep classic uh, blues that Ma Rainey was known for. And he's like, no, I want to change it. I want to change it. I want it to be new. And everyone agrees he's really good, but it's not. That's And he, he thinks he's going to own this. And, and the truth is Ma Rainey does. She's known for this music and it's true. Once she records it, she loses ownership. But everyone knows what her music is and this uh, characters like Levy, I mean, uh, we, we have no many idea how many hundreds of thousands or whatever number of people that were just eaten up by the industry because they had no control and no power and they were talented. And then, as you said, I'll, I'll take your song for five dollars and then you walk away fifty dollars for ten songs. And then the industry, of course, would make whatever tens of thousands of dollars. And that's how the system worked. Yeah. And, and in fact, I happen to know this from my previous career. I worked on some litigation the royalties of, of these African-American bands from the 50s and the 40s, you know, these these soul bands and these R&B bands and, and some of the this, this stuff, they actually were not uh, correctly calculated and, and they were taken advantage of even at that level. And, you know, litigation that was happening in the 1990s to to rectify that injustice was still going on. And uh, and it, it was, a you know, it was a very a, a large um, class action filed by many of the um, heirs to these these musicians who were still living that had had been, you know, basically robbed of royalties by the record companies because they were, you know, not able to represent themselves well. And that wasn't really, you know, rectified until the 1990s. Yeah, and that's what this film goes after is that theme and that, that issue, um, it exposes it really well. Uh, Chadwick Boseman is remarkable in this film. Uh, he's, he's guaranteed to win the best actor, essentially. I, the guy was, you know, in late stages of, of cancer. They, he died before they even did post-production on the film. Yeah. And his, his character is intense. It's not a relaxed character. Oh. It's a demanding character. And he has many intense scenes where his, he's real. And knowing that his health is so poor, um, you can see it. He's very gaunt, but my goodness, the tenacity that he, he got gets across. I mean, to see this film, really, what you're watching is you're watching him and, and Viola Davis. It's a well-made film and it's well-crafted narrative. I it'll be so great to see it in the theater. I think it's really a great theater piece, and I I think there's some nice lighting. It's all very dark and there's lots of gold. It definitely gives us a feeling of nostalgia, you know, back in the as you said the 20s, and so it's all kind of you know, uh, a little bit overlit and, and goldy. And, and when they're in the, when the guys are, when the band is practicing, the bass is very dark. So that it sets you up really well, but there's just sort of this feeling like you want the story to go somewhere else aside from these two places. And they don't because it's based on a play, but you know, definitely for the, the performances of, of those two, uh, it's definitely worth uh, viewing. Yeah. And also I just say that the, you know, one of the nominations is for uh, makeup and, uh, you know, Viola Davis is wearing a bodysuit in there and, and you can't, I mean, I didn't realize, I thought maybe she'd just put on some weight. It was extremely, a lot of done. <laughs> it was extremely well done. I mean, her, her transformation into this character was 
very realistic. I mean, uh, and that I, I believe was the, you know, probably one of the main reasons that the film got nominated for uh, best makeup. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's deserving, yeah. So anyway, uh, it's a good film. It, I think it was highly rated, uh, 90% or something on, on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, and, you know, it's definitely, you know, it, it, there's a narrow scope, but they go very deep and it's, uh, and it's well done. And so I think that um, I would definitely recommend this film, uh, especially if you have an interest in the history of, you know, African-American. Uh, it, it covers a, a very short story intensely well. And, this, and the character of Ma Rainey, historically, I'd, I'd never heard of her. I knew, so the famous, other famous person in that time period is Bessie Smith, and I've heard of her. I don't know much about her, but I knew of, of her. And so she and uh, Bessie Smith and, and Ma Rainey, apparently they had a great friendship, and there's a couple of references made to her in the film, but there are implications that they had a romantic sexual relationship. None of them are proven, none of them are clear. And then, as you said, it's a definitely implied that she's bisexual or, 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 or lesbian in, in the film. But I mean, my goodness, think about the challenges that are posed to you in that, you know, a, a, a black singer, female, you know, you know, a homosexual trying to just be accepted in society. And, you know, even today, that stuff is still being challenged. And she was, you know, she's a really great figure of someone that just fought to do things exactly the way she wanted to do them. All right, so let's move on to the, the, the next film, and that's gonna be yours, Don, if you wanna introduce it. So The Sound of Metal is actually an interesting film in conjunction with uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom because it's also very much based on music. Music is a, is a central theme in it. Um, so it's, it's the, a lot of the characters were not, there's a lot of well, what we would call, I guess, unknowns in it. So it's directed by someone, uh, Darius Martyr, based on a screenplay by uh, Derek Cianfrance. And this is really this guy, Derek Cianfrance project. He worked on it for many years. And then because it's based on his experience as a drummer in a heavy metal band and getting having terrible hearing issues, basically experiencing hearing loss. And that's what the idea is. It's focusing on a drummer losing his hearing uh, in a heavy metal band. He, he came up with this project based on his own experience many years ago, but it never happened. There was a, it, it kept almost happening and uh, it never worked. And then it started to come around uh, a couple of years ago, um, specifically when he got this guy Riz Ahmed to play the main, main character and uh, Olivia Cook, she was the other, uh, she's the, the love interest. But really, this is a character study of Riz Ahmed. He is, so talking, once again, I'd say it's similar to uh, Ma Rainey because the, there, there's, there's a lot more happening here. This is not just focused on one location by any means, um, but it's definitely a character study on what, it, what it's like to be, and he's a young man, you know, probably his late 20s, early 30s. And, uh, you know, he's been in this band and the band, it's a very, the opening scene is of him playing um, drums and it's just him and, and this woman and it's just like there's this drone sound and then she just cranks it with the guitar and then he just kind of goes crazy uh, on the drums and so this it's a really intense sort of style of music that you know some people might be a little bit put off by because it's quite overwhelming and you know our opening shots are just close-ups of him very low lit and then he just starts going crazy on the drums and we're like okay the sound of metal this is like a movie about 
uh, you know, a heavy metal band. And this is what it's like to, to see, you know, uh, music from the point of view of a heavy metal band through the drummer's eyes. Uh, very quickly and within 10 minutes, we, we see scenes where the, the sound, he's having troubles hearing. And, um, and then like the second show we see him at, uh, he basically can only hear like murmuring. He can't hear anyone talking. And then, you know, within and then the next show, basically he's gone completely deaf. He can't hear anything. And so now we've gone from, you know, this really loud cacophony of crazy drums and, and screaming and, and electric guitar to pretty close to dead silence. And it's a really interesting transformation of the world he, he goes from, from one, you know, this one crazy world where there's just so much noise and then to dead silence. And then obviously his distress because to be a drummer in a band, you need to hear. And so then the film is really about him processing, what am I gonna do with my life? And how am I gonna go about doing this um, being deaf? And the woman he's with, there's also a relationship that he's, they've got to navigate. We also find out they're both uh, recovering addicts. Uh, they both uh, were addicted to a number of things and they've, they've been together for four years and they've both coincidentally, of course, been not doing drugs for four years. So it's a study of what it's like for him in a band, losing his hearing, and uh, what happens to him and his relationship, where his life uh, goes from there. And I, and just to add, I think it's a, it's a constant struggle that we see um, in different waves throughout the, the film. I feel like the, the struggling band, because they're, they're not well established, they're just kind of a, 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 like a small venue touring band, the, the two of them. Uh, and they, you know, they try and hustle selling albums and merchandise and things. And, and they're doing everything themselves, the, just the two of them. So there's that struggle we see. And then there's the struggle as he's losing his uh, hearing. Uh, then we see the struggle within his relationship with, with um, the Olivia Cook character, his, his girlfriend and the, and the lead singer. Yeah. And, and then, you know, he, he's very resistant to getting help. It kind of feels like I can just, you know, we can still do this. You can cue me or whatever. And she's just, it's clear to her that this isn't going to work. They get somebody, I think his uh, sponsor uh, helps them find a place that deals with, with uh, recovering addicts who are deaf and, and how to kind of become functional in a deaf world. And so they go to this place and they meet a very powerful director of this program who's also a recovering alcoholic. And, you know, he gets taken and after resisting his, his girlfriend basically says, you know, you got to do this. The director, and I can't remember the character's name. Do you remember the character's name? Are, who are we talking about? The guy, uh, the, the, the support person at the at the home? Yeah. Yeah, that guy's name is played by this guy named Paul Roshi, who i yeah. really interested to read about him. But the character's uh, name is uh, Joe. Joe. And so Joe, you know, tells him she can't stay here. This is only for deaf people. And he's like, well, that's a deal killer. We're, we're together. And then she says, nope. You know, after a couple of days, she's like, nope, you got to go here. I'm flying home. And she, it turns out that she comes from a wealthy family. Her father is a very wealthy Frenchman who's successful. And so she goes and, and kind of lives with her father in, in wealthy France. And uh, he goes and kind of starts the struggle of, of, you know, dealing with the fact that he's deaf now. And, you know, the whole time that he's thinking, he, he thinks he can just get an operation to fix this. Uh, and so, you know, he's kind of going through the steps of trying to figure out how to do this while also kind of learning how to be a 
a functional deaf person. It's a very interesting struggle because he becomes part of this community. He becomes, you know, because the, the addicts are also part of a larger deaf uh, education center for deaf students. And they come and they, they help as part of their recovery process of learning. You know, they go and, and work with the students. And so he becomes a, a really a, that, a committed part of that community. But meanwhile, he's not giving up on this idea of having this operation, right? And so, you know, we see this struggle where he, you know, he sells their large RV to help finance his uh, operation. And that's a, that was a big deal. And then he gets the operation very quickly. And then the deaf colony says, well, you know, we're, we support deaf people. We don't think of this as a, it's not a temporary problem. Once you're deaf, you're deaf. It's, it's, you can't fix it. And so, they tell him he can't come back with this operation thing. And so that kind of throws him off and that, and it just enters into another struggle. This guy just going through a lot of struggles throughout his, this, this snapshot of his life. And I, it was fascinating because um, the, the character that, that he is in this is so defined. You, you almost feel like you, you've known this guy for a long time, you know, because of the way that he interacts and, and he's a British actor uh, playing an American from like the Southwest, I think tech or just all over because his, his mother was a military nurse and he's, you know, he's really dedicated. Re the, the character's development is, is quite in depth and, you know, the skills that this actor had to uh, go through, especially with the learning of the sign language. And then also he had to learn how to be a drummer and then, you know, he's totally ripped. So he had to go through personal training. So there's a lot of levels of commitment that this actor made to really be successful in this character. And you can, it really pays off. I mean, he's, he was, I thought he was phenomenal in this role. Uh, very strong, you know, and it really, I mean, it drives the whole movie. I mean, because he is essentially, I think he's in every uh, scene in this, in this film. Uh, very close to that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I've I've never heard of him before, and he apparently has been in you know small roles in other films. But he it took him a year prep, uh, prepping for this film. They they shot the film in like twenty four days, um, but his preparation, as you said, apparently he was doing all those things like two hours a day, like two hours of drumming, two hours of sign language, and two hours of training, and then preparing for his scenes. And you see it like this guy lived the character, and he was just there's all these tight close ups of him just staring ahead. And it's him processing, like, what is it like to go deaf? And, you know, what is it like to lose this thing that I care about so much, the drumming and the relationship? Uh, and I, you also touched on a thing I, I was fascinated by. So I thought, okay, I thought this was about, a, I didn't know, I, I don't like knowing anything about uh, films before I, I go in, because I don't like spoilers, but we're not spoiling too much. So we're good here. Um, but uh, I thought this was a film about a, a, a metal drummer. And then I thought, oh, it's about a metal drummer that loses his hearing. And then that 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 spin, that the place he's going to process being deaf is also a place where addicts are. And it's how do addicts or, or people with, with that, that behavior, how do they process these things? And as you said, they, they're, they're, there's, it's a very clear rule in the, in the house. It's acceptance or nothing. You can't you're not gonna like, it's called a, co a cochlear implant. And it's a, basically they put electronic messages before it gets to your eardrum. And so your brain processes it. And it's, it's this electronic manipulation of, of sounds. Um, it's an approximation of what obviously we understand hearing. And the guy at the, um, the his name's Joe, the guy running the place, he's very clear. He's like, no, no, this is a place we only deal with acceptance. 
And that's obviously related to addiction. If you don't accept who you are and what you are, you can't fight it. If you're going to fight it, you're going to lose. I was like, well, this is interesting. Like death, addiction. And this is, this is a fascinating look at like the human condition in a very small little corner of the world. So the guy that plays that guy, Joe, he has been acting. I looked him up. He's been on a character actor for the last 20 odd years. He's been on Baywatch and all sorts of, you know, he's just a guy that a background character actor. And uh, this is the script that he was, he, he's very, quite ecstatic. He's been nominated for best supporting actor. He is one supporting actor across the country in all sorts of small festivals. Um, so he's obviously excellent and, and worth looking at as is Riz Ahmed. I, I don't see how Riz Ahmed can win the category. Yeah, I even though I think he's absolutely phenomenal. The fact that you're, you're going against Chadwick Boseman who's never won an Oscar and who's died, does an excellent job. Um, it's just, uh, it's not on the cards for Mr. Ahmed this round, but I don't know if that, I mean, everyone and, recognizes what a phenomenal talent he is. And also that character, uh, Joe. Steve uh, Ratchi, R-A-C-I, sorry. Okay, Ratchi, yeah. So that that guy actually is uh, the child of deaf parents too. I mean, so he he actually already knew sign language and he had been in this world. And so, you know, you feel very comfortable with the way that he plays that character and how he interacts with deaf people because, you know, you can see that he's, you know, there's a very natural uh, interaction between him and the, and the deaf people in the in the film because there are a lot of you know the the, the film is very much placed uh, in in deaf communities and there are a lot of deaf actors in the film and there's some legitimate um, sign language instructors that are part of the creative process in this and you know he fit in this in between world very well and uh, he was a wonderful casting choice I thought because he did I, he brought a lot to that movie I think he really added to the, the the depth and the value of the interactions between those two characters. I totally agree. And also his character uh, lost his hearing in Vietnam in real life. He did do two tours of Vietnam. And so his life experience was, was uh, melded into the, into the actual character of the, of the film. A couple, so a couple of things I, I just wanted to note as well, this film, like we always talk about what things look like and how, um, you know, the, 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 the color palette and things like that. It kind of goes back and forth between kind of dark at times because he's in, it gets in a dark space, he's kind of on his own. But it's, there's often quite scenes where he's just in a quite brightly lit place. This, this film is much more about soundscape and listening. As I say, it goes from incredibly loud in the beginning. You're like, oh my goodness, what am I in for? And then his life is actually very, he's very quiet and, and calm and is away from the drums. And then of course, losing his hearing, then we as an audience start losing our hearing and it's a little bit frustrating. And then later on, the, when the film, when he actually gets this implant, and then we're hearing from his point of view, it kind of drives you crazy as an audience. You're like, it's electronic and staticky and hissy. And, and you're just like, oh, my God, like, he can hear, he can hear people talking. But he, he when people are what, like, there's a scene when he goes to a, the, the father's birthday uh, party, um, and he's walking around, and we can hear all these people talking. And it's very tinny and electronic it's very chaotic for him to try and just filter yeah. all this information that's he's and, and it's yeah it's really frustrating and you're just like as an audience member just like just turn it off and then eventually he's like he's, he's processing what he's going to do and this whole idea of accepting and and understanding how your life evolves is probably a one of the central messages uh, of the film and it's really quite you know profoundly done one thing I'd love to do is uh, I'll give a shout out to my one of my former film students, Jacob Pasek. He I taught like five, six years ago, and 
he texted me. I hadn't seen the film and he texted me and said, Mr. Gibson, you got to go see this film. This film's amazing. And uh, I'm like, yeah. And he, he talked about all the, the use of sound and everything. And like, so I think he's a film student. He loves films, but I think it's a highly accessible film that really you're drawn into the story uh, and you're really, you know, highly empathetic for, for the character's uh, situation. Um, and you're really intrigued by how the story is going to evolve. Yeah, I thought the film was very impactful. I mean, I, I really, it, it left a strong impression on me. And, uh, you know, it was, it, it's just a, a, a strong, strong film that I would, I would, you know, regardless of who you are or what you're interested in, it, it's it's just a, a film that's going to impact everybody who watches it. Um, I, want, I want to throw a quote out there from from the, uh, uh, the director, Darius Martyr. So he's obviously done a lot of interviews for the film. And someone, this is a quote, this is a quote about the pandemic. And he says, everyone is saying, I can't wait to get back. And I have to say, I don't think we will. That's just how the world works. And it's really interesting when you think about, like, you know, everyone's like, okay, once the pandemic ends, then we just go back to the way things were. It's like, well, you can't do that because we went through a pandemic. And so it's affected us in some way. And we have to evolve through our experience that we had in the pandemic. And this is actually kind of a microcosm, the same thing. I mean, we didn't go deaf, but, but we, we, we went through experiences and we have to accept those experiences and evolve however it's going to make us evolve, which is the central message of this film. And it's, you definitely are left thinking at the end of the film. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, well, I think that we picked some good films. They're Best Picture nominees. I and you know, but I I don't think they're favorites. You know, there's I think there's some other some other films out there that are probably clear favorites. But I thought they were both strong films, and definitely, you know, if you haven't seen them, you know, I think we both would be comfortable saying that these are these are some nice films to watch. And and I believe they're both on uh, Netflix, right? Or is one Amazon Prime? I'm not sure. One's Amazon Prime. Yeah. yeah so uh, I think Sound of Metal. Sound of Metal is Prime. Prime and um, yeah. Ma Rainey's uh, Black Bottom yeah. is on Netflix. So if you get a chance. Yeah. You know, I would we would recommend seeing this, and I think we are moving on to what well, we haven't decided what we're going to do next, have we? It's it's a it's a cliffhanger. We're either going to carry on with the Oscar nominees, or we're going to go back to like where 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 do we leave off? Eighty three, eighty four. So we got to figure that out. So, we're going to figure so, out where we're going to go next. Yeah, well, you know, anybody who's interested, you can always uh, you know communicate with us at our you know Twitter. Uh, which is uh, yes, cinema, cinema ATC. So please feel free to to contact us, and we we you know we'll take your we'll take your uh, suggestions and and consider all of them very seriously. Definitely. Thank you, listener, if you are out there. All right, so that's another version of Cinema Around the Corner with myself, Ben Wager, and my co-host Don Gibson saying, "See you next time." See you later. Mm-hmm.